Hello and welcome to the Tom Hutch podcast where I interview individuals who have made a successful career within the music industry to find out how they got to where they are and any tips or advice that they have for musicians at any level and any stage of their own careers. My guest for this episode is one of the UK's most in-demand guitar players, Adam Goldsmith, on Instagram, at the Adam Goldsmith. Uh, Adam's CV is really something to behold. He has worked with the likes of Little Mix, Will Young, Rod Stewart, Barry Manilow, and Robbie Williams, to name a few. TV house bands include the first three series of The Voice, Series 1 and 2 of Pop Idol, the Royal Variety Orchestra, Sports Personality of the Year House Orchestra, as well as pre-recorded work for Downton Abbey, Stars in Their Eyes, and the London Olympics. In theatre, he's had many chairs in the West End, such as Beautiful, Wicked, Billy Elliot, and Hairspray, among others. Uh, with orchestras, he's worked with the BBC Symphony Orchestra and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, as well as the Ronnie Scott's House Band and the John Wilson Orchestra. Adam has also done countless recording sessions and continues to be one of the top studio guitarists in the UK, having played on multiple films, most recently of which Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, The Hobbit, and a massive list of more. He also regularly writes a column in Guitarist magazine from his perspective in the studio about his life as a musician. On top of all this, he has his own band, the Adam Goldsmith Group, which includes some of the country's top musicians, including Steve Pearce, who uh, also features on a later podcast, and has recently released his first album under that name. He's also a professor of commercial guitar at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. Uh, now, Adam is one of the most experienced musicians you will ever come across, who can turn his hand to absolutely anything on guitar, and has consistently been at the top of the industry for many years. In this episode, we cover topics including what a music education doesn't teach you, sustaining an income over a career as a musician, home session work, advice for current young musicians, and much more. Adam very kindly let me come around to his house and record this interview with him at his home studio, which is a guitarist heaven, by the way, uh, but this inevitably led to a few disturbances that had to be edited out, so I apologise in advance for the cutting and disturbances such as aeroplane noise, dogs barking, and Adam's very sweet children. <laughs> so please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with Adam Goldsmith. Uh, well, I don't really know where to begin. I mean, you've done so much stuff. There's so much, so, like, varied amount of things, mm. which is kind of why I wanted to talk to you anyway, because, like, you've done so many different, well, genres, yes, but, like, different parts of the industry as well. Right. So, if we start, like, I mean, right at the beginning, I guess, okay. like, where did where did you grow up and what did you, when did you first start playing? Okay, right at the beginning. Uh, so, I grew up, I was born uh, in Oxford. Um, I didn't really live there. I sort of lived in a couple of places just sort of between Reading and Oxford. Right. When I was a kid, I went to school in Henley, um, and yeah, I started piano lessons when I was uh, I was seven. My mum was a classical piano player. Okay. I started piano lessons then. I didn't really like it to be honest. I didn't have much. So, I, but I got it was kind of useful. Like in retrospect, it was useful because I learned how to read music mm. and sort of got a bit of an idea of you know I've got a vague idea of what's happening on a piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is pretty useful, you know. Mm. Even though I didn't really like it at the time, it wasn't really for me. It used to piss me off, you know. How many years did you do it for then? Oh, well, 
I guess five years until I was I got my first. No, mm, yeah, I got my first guitar when I was twelve. Right. So I guess until then. But I remember when, like, my dad played guitar as well. No, they didn't do anything professional, but they're good musicians. Like my mum's classical piano player. Like I said, and she sung a bit of jazz as well. Mm. My dad was a bass player and played guitar. And they were they're good musicians, but they're not professionals, you know. Right. Um, so uh, what happened? Yeah, I remember he showed me a couple of chords on the guitar one night, and I was like. This is fucking brilliant. Yeah, I want to do more of this. You know? So you just knew straight away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know that I was going to do it for a living, but I knew that I loved it. More than the piano. Oh god, like. yeah. I could never be asked for the piano. <laughs> so I don't really know why because I remember my dad had this old bass amp, which for some reason had a distortion switch on it. Right. And I put his electric guitar into it and I pressed the distortion. And I was like, "That's the sound." Right. <laughs> you know, it's not. I mean, you got to remember. It's like then there was no internet. Right? I mean, there was an internet, but like NASA had it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know what. I was born in 77, so it's just like, you know, whatever, like 1989 or something. And so it's not like you can go on YouTube now and you can go, oh, guitar. And you'll get a million guys with like all this gear and showing you what pedals to use. It, like, it was all a mystery. Mm. So if you put, I mean, one of the first bands that I've listened to with, with distorted guitar, I guess, were apart from the Beatles and probably Queen. You know, mm. I, uh, I used to watch that um, live at Wembley concert in '86 when I was a tiny little kid. Uh, it was just like amazing. You know? um, anyway, so uh, and that noise, that sort of distorted guitar noise, like no one, you didn't know what it was. You were just mm. like, that's. It was everything was a mystery. You know, yeah. so everything you heard was a mystery, which is brilliant. Which is now it's a bit of an alien concept, I would imagine, for anyone of your generation because you've grown up with the internet and everything's so accessible. So if you wanted to learn something off a record tape and I guess it was pause rewind pause trying to clock it you know there's nobody on the on YouTube showing you how to do it I mean it's, yeah. it was hard but anyway so that was that's when I started playing guitar I'm getting off the subject a bit, but, um, and then uh, what did I do after that the Central Berkshire Swing Band I guess that was my first sort of organised right. you know, local use music services so were you into like jazz stuff from no, an early age no not at all I was a rocker I was, I was into like thrash metal, right? right. Fucking really heavy, like <laughs> I really liked it, you know. But I liked all sorts as well because my dad was really into the Beatles, being you know, he's like grew up in the sixties and everything. Mm. So I um I learned to play a lot of Beatles songs. That was the first. He was like, let's play some music together. So we just played Beatles songs. So that, that yeah. was my first exposure to music. The music that wasn't classical music was the Beatles, really. It's a pretty good start. It was a great start, yeah. Um, and. Weirdly, it wasn't the original recording of the Beatles. It was more me and my dad playing versions of Beatles songs. So I knew the songs before I knew the band, if you see what I mean. Oh, really? It's a bit weird, but that's, that's still cool. Yeah. yeah. And um, I remember him saying to me at a really early age, it was like, if you want to make a living out of playing guitar, you have to learn to read music, you know, on guitar. So that's sort of where most guitar players, I think, they start to play guitar, and then a few years later, they go, oh, shit, I better learn to read music. But I learned it in, at the same time. Right, so, so it very became quite part of the process for me, which right. I think I was quite lucky. I think you did me, did me a favour there, you know. Hmm. Um, so when, so education wise, did you uh, like after you left school? Did you, what did you do education wise after that? Uh, so I went to Birmingham Conservatoire. Uh, I did my degree there. Which one was that? A jazz it was degree? A classical degree. A classical degree. Yeah. Right. Uh, it was, what was it supposed to be? <laughs> it's like. It's like Things are, are different now. They're much more organised. Like jazz courses were there, but they just they were gonna. I went to the audition, and I was like, I'd learnt two pieces, 
and uh, you know, I didn't. Well, actually, before that, it's important to mention I did the Berkshire Youth Jazz Orchestra, which was brilliant. So we used to play with Kenny Wheeler and had Clark Tracy. Oh, was great! Playing, and Mike Bradley came and played with us, and so that was huge before university. That that was really big, and um, we had these brilliant guests because the guy that ran it, Pat Kelly, was a, like a proper jazzer. Mm. You know, he used to be in a Covent Garden Opera band and his drummer player. Anyway, so we had Kenny Wheeler as a guest and. Clark played drums for us a lot, Mike Bradley, Andy Kleiner used to come and play bass. Um, who else? Loads of great people. Jim Mullen used to come and guest with us sometimes. It, it was brilliant. So that was really yeah. a big thing. But I, I, I took a year out um, sort of worked in a pub before I went to music college because I thought, oh, I better get my shit together. I'm probably not good enough to go to music college. Right. Little did I know I got there and it wasn't really happening. You know. Mm. I got there and what happened was when I did my audition, uh, I got two pieces. I got like a Bach piece ready, and then uh, uh, Martin Taylor sort of jazz arrangement because right. I didn't really know what to do, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I played them both, and I basically, I mean, looking back, it's pretty cool. I never really thought about it, and and I and they said, well, what are you auditioning for? And I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really know what was going on, you know. And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I guess I'll do the jazz course because they're going to let me in on, on on both of them, which is nice, yeah, right. you know. So I said, well, I wasn't really interested in classical guitar, I just had a little bit together, which was enough to get in, you know. Yeah, yeah, And I said, I'll do the jazz course. But when I got there, they said, oh, we haven't got any money, so there's no jazz course yet, so you'll have to do the classical course oh, and right. take, just have jazz guitar lessons. Oh. Uh, and then I started going, so I ended up, by default, with a classical music degree, which means fuck all, I know nothing about that. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally know nothing about classical music. Um, I did, you know, learn a few, wrote a few essays and whatever, and yeah. oh, I have a degree. Um, so... Uh, but I was going down every weekend to do the National Youth Jazz Orchestra by that stage as well. So I got into that. Right. So okay. that was brilliant. That was really, obviously, like a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit more commercial vibe. Mm. It's not now, I don't think. I think it's gone all a bit jazzy again. But then it was kind of the people that wanted to be studio musicians. Right. So it's interesting. Because a lot of people that I've talked to, that seems to be like a kind of bottleneck. Like most people have gone through Niger. Yeah, I think Tommy did it after me. Yeah. He took over from me, I think, from what I remember. Um, it's funny because I always think of Tommy as a little kid, but he's thirty six. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a nice way. Yeah. Uh, um, How long did you do Nigel for then? Was it just the time you were studying, or? It was about five years, I think. Right. I didn't leave till I was about twenty four or twenty five, something like that. Yeah. Because people sort of left later then. I don't really know why. It's had a great time. It's like <laughs> doing it, you know. It's funny. Um, and yeah, and then oh, then I did postgrad at the academy after that. Jazz postgrad. Right. Okay. So you came to that's when you came to London. That's when I came to London. Well, I'm not. You know, like I went to school in Henley, so it's only half an hour away. Mm. You know what I mean? So and we lived in Pangbourne, which is just outside Henley. Right. So I was never that far away, and used to come in. Used to come. My family lived around here as well. So. Um, but yeah, the, when I moved to London as a like an independent adult, yeah. Mm. Um, straight after Birmingham, so I was nineteen twenty. 20, about 21, something like that. Yeah. 22, about your age. And how did you find it moving to London, like, in terms of, like, contacts and it was gigging weird. and stuff? It was fine, because I was in Nigel, and I was in a function band with some of the guys from Nigel. Right. So, so for, you knew a lot of the guys around? Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew the guys on the scene, you know, that that scene. Mm. I never really got into... It wasn't as much of a thing, like, the guys doing the pop gigs then. You know, now it's quite a lot of a... Uh, I think it's because of, you know, like, Instagram and all these sort of things. There's lots of... I didn't really know about that sort of stuff. I was, I guess, a bit pretty naive. I think I think it's something right. like people your age now are not 
you know, the, the people that I taught don't seem to have the same level of naivety as we did. We were like, well, what the fuck do we do now? You know, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, you leave music college and go, well, okay, so what? Yeah, yeah. You know, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? And maybe there still is that, but I think the internet is a big thing. You know, I mean, mm. that's not exactly statement of the century it's a big thing but like in terms of people's awareness of like a any sort of career trajectory trajectory which they might have um, or ideas of what to do next or promoting themselves like the business aspect of things and the self-promotion aspect of things which is quite big I've noticed amongst your generation didn't exist right we just went you somebody phoned you on a landline and said do you want to do a gig and you went yeah sure and that was it right so you, it was like word of mouth so you didn't it wasn't like Every fucking idiot with a guitar and an internet connection is now a rock star on the internet. Yeah, yeah. You know, which... Do you feel it's not so much word of mouth these days? Then it is totally. Is that's all bullshit? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. All the gigs that I do. I mean, I've tried. I do. I sort of flirt with social media, but I've deleted my Facebook account because it right. pisses me off for non-musical reasons. To be honest, it was after the general election. I was just like, everyone's. I can't deal with this shit anymore. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So I came off that, but. I've got Twitter and Instagram and everything. I don't have particularly many followers because I don't really do it. Mm. I do it occasionally. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, it's interesting because I've talked about this with Jim Knight. He was right. Pretty much same with you because yeah. like my generation is growing up with it, so we kind of use you take it, it for granted. Yeah. But I still feel like we don't really understand where to use it. Oh really? Or how oh, that's to inter- use it See, quite I, as much. Actually, because I write column in Guitarist magazine, and um, I'll give you an, uh, I'll, I'll show it to you. Um, I've just written, it's not published yet, but I'll, I'll talk to you just for your own, um, in case you're interested, mm. send you an email copy. And, and I wrote about social media. Right. And I, I, it's interesting to hear you say that you don't think you know what to do with it. Because if you don't know what to do with it, no one knows what to do with well, it. Well, I feel like people know what to do with it in terms of like business and all that side of things, but how to use it as a business model for a musician... I feel like that's still a bit of a grey area, almost. It's like you think so? That, well, that's it. really interesting to me, yeah. Well, I feel like people use it, and it's like... People don't like it so much because it's basically just peacocking, being like, look at all this amazing stuff. Yeah. Like, obviously, like you're not going to put anything bad on there. That's not the point of it. Yeah. But it's kind of hard to... I, like, I don't know if people ever actually get any kind of work or whether it influences their well, career in any really way. Well, it's really interesting for me to hear you say that because I thought I was just being like the wrong generation. Basically, because what I what I see, and this is the point that I'm, I'll, I'll send it to you. Now, you can see, but um, the point that I made, and that occurs to me, is that I see loads, of, especially guitar, and I think it's probably the same with drums. I think there's a lot in common. There's a lot of this internet bullshit. There's a certain mm. drummers that I know who just, I who are all over the fucking internet, telling everyone how brilliant they are, and you play with them, and it's like, you're all right. Yeah. You know. But, for example, I mean, I, I work quite a lot with Ian Thomas, who doesn't have any social media accounts, and he's like the fucking best drummer in the world, you know, and up there, you know, I mean, with Ralph and Neil and all that, you know, all <laughs> yeah. those guys, yeah, they're yeah. all amazing, you know, but, and he doesn't do any of that stuff, and it's like, there's mm. all these, you know, people, oh, check out my fucking Zildjian endorsement, you know, mm. I'll stick it up your ass, you know, like, I yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you know, it's boring, you know, I'd rather see a picture of your dog or something, to be honest, <laughs> you know, this is not exciting to me, you know, but, 
Um, but then again, I feel conflicted about it because I do the same thing. I do it because I get drawn into it. It's yeah. like that sort of fear of missing out thing. You know, I think oh, I must have to do it because everyone your age is doing it. But that, now it's interesting. <laughs> you say yeah. you don't know well, what I you're mean, doing I, either. So. I could be completely wrong. I could just not understand how to use it myself. Like yeah. I've only I mean, just started. You went to Guildhall and not like BIM or somewhere like that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. You went to I, I don't proper know. music college <laughs> and they're all get, they're all too busy getting their photo taken. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, have you ever got anything work related through social media at all? Or? I've had a couple of people email me through Facebook, uh, but I think that they email me through Facebook just because they didn't have my phone number, but they knew of me anyway. Mm. I don't think they just. So no, I don't think so. Yeah, because it's very easy to like if you just type in someone's name if you know their name. Yeah, you can find them on like Facebook fairly easily. Yeah. And then... I mean, how did you... You contact me through my website. Through your you? website, yeah. yeah. it must have been, because I know Facebook. But yeah, I think... I mean, the reason I came off, it wasn't so much to do with music. It's just the amount of times so I'm just checking it on my phone, you know. Yeah. Just so... I think a I lot just, of people feel that way as well. I'm sure they do. And then what happens is you come off and you sort of vaguely feel like... You still feel like you're missing out. You think, oh, everyone else's life is amazing. Oh, I'm going to Tesco's. Mm. You know what I mean? Because no, obviously no one puts yeah. that on Facebook, you know. But... Um, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's why it's very interesting. It's really interesting, yeah. And I think maybe we'll look back on this these kind of conversations in about 20 years and go, oh, okay, well, it's it's settled down now. You know, it's become mm. integrated in a, more, in a less offensive way. Yeah, I think either that or it's going to be absolutely, like, massive. And a lot of people see it as essential yeah, already. I, yeah, and maybe it is. Because, I mean, say if you, took, if you take somebody who's... I mean, I'm give or take twenty years older than you. Maybe you take somebody who's twenty years older than me. They, they had a whole career, you know, which is yeah. essentially on the downward slope if you're sixty. I mean, it's not you're not going up still when you're sixty for mm. the most part. Um, without the internet at all, and they were busier because there was more of a music industry. And it seems like because you could, you know, you could used to be able to make a living in the studios. You can't do that now. Yeah, it's not possible. It's not, they're not there. You have to do all sorts, you know. So I mean, that that's another topic. You know, anyone describing themselves as a session musician on mm. the internet bullshit. Yeah, You're not a I mean, musician. it's interesting to say it because I think out, out of most guitarists, you probably do quite a lot of session work currently compared to a lot. Don't say currently like that. You might not next week. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, at the moment, you know I mean, can see what happens to you. Mate. <laughs> as opposed to like twenty years ago, like you're saying, when when there was a lot more around or whatever. Yeah, I mean, not even twenty years ago, really. Actually, sorry to interrupt, but I mean, twenty years ago would have been the year two thousand, and I was there weren't that. I actually think there's probably more around. There was more TV work around now because it's a fashion for having house bands at the moment. Right. There wasn't okay. so much then. That's interesting. Um, yeah. But anyway. Whatever, but anyway, sorry, go on. Mm. Ask your no, no, sorry. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that in a moment because that's a lot, like a fairly big part. You've done a lot of stuff to do with that. I suppose so. Yeah. 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 But I mean, so so when you did, if you go back, like when you going back to like you create so at the kind of stage that I'm at and people of my age are kind of at, mm. like you finished music college and you like finished your like education, higher education, yeah, officially. Yeah. yeah. Like, what what did what was the next step? For Confusion you? actually was the next step, and almost giving up. I feel like that's a lot of case for a lot of people. Maybe I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't happy. I remember being unhappy. Right. But that might have been unique to me. I'm a bit of a miserable fucker, anyway. Sometimes <laughs> I don't. You know, like. Um, uh, I remember. I remember that feeling of. And I'm trying to sort of correct it in my teaching at the Guildhall and private teaching as well, because no one. When I was at music college, this is tied up. Um, when I was at music college, it was like it was just teaching people about music. Mm. Which is fair enough, you know, it's great. It, 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 but in a very pure way, in a very, you know, 
what does Kenny Wheeler play with this slash cup? You know, like, you know, how's Peter Erskine turning the beat or whatever the fuck, yeah. you know. And it's done in a very, you know, absolute kind of way. But what no one said is, you know what you need to do? You know you need an accountant. Or now you need to, uh, say if you're a guitar, I mean, that's an extreme example, but like, now you need to, um, I mean, when my pupils, especially from the Guildhall come here, uh, because they've got sort of Mike Outram for jazz and, you know, people that really know what they're talking about, and then they come to me for, to learn jazz, you know. Um, uh, so I'll put a chart in front of them, which I've taken off a session. Right. You know, and I've got the logic files. Usually, like, if I'm working with somebody that I know well, I keep I ask them, if I, can I use this for sort of educational purposes? I use the logic files. So I'll make them do the session. Mm. You know, so they've got all the gear. I'll say, right, choose this other guitar. You know, I'm gonna, you get four clicks in, and they're doing a session, which has been a real-life session. So they're getting prepared for something which has ramifications in the real world, which... Yeah. It didn't so much. I mean, I've got a degree in classical music. So what? Mm. You know. So I, I think that that's a. It certainly was. I don't know if for the most part it is anymore. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of a cliff edge, you know. Mm. When when you leave music college. Um, I feel like from my experience, it kind of from people I know, I feel like it goes one way or the other. Like people, they'll they'll go f- two feet first into all of the. Education, like I mean, as you should, they they just like concentrate on all of their studies and like hundred yeah. percent, yeah. and then like you say, they get to the end and then they're just kind of a bit like in no matter, don't know yeah. what to do. Yeah. Or there's people that um, maybe don't do so much of the college stuff, like they they kind of understand. Maybe it is like a thing that's happening more these days, mm-hmm. and then they get to the end and they're kind of like they they have enough to support themselves still. Enough work, you mean? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people in my kind of age group that I've known since I've been at college, they kind of get to the end and then they make sure they just plug for a lot of teaching jobs which because it's like regular work. Yeah, I did that, yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people do that and there's nothing wrong with that but I feel like that's people uh, kind of getting towards the end and being like, oh shit, I need to... Yeah, it's just how you're coping with that. nobody talks about it beforehand. Well, that's, that's and that's the problem. problem and especially now because, you know, in this in the 20 years between you and me, Look at house prices. Look at the the cost of living. You know, it's not comparable. Mm. It's not comparable. Living in London now is incredibly expensive if you want to stay in London. Yeah. You know, I mean, you you know. So, you know, that's that's even more reason to take into consideration those kind of things and what what you're actually going to do with your life. You know, what do, what do you want to do? Do you want to get married and have kids eventually? I mean, it's not something that you want to have to think about straight away. But there are realities of life. You know, like. How are you going to make a living? What? Who are you? Mm. You know, what are you going to do? While well, while well, all the people that you knew when you were at school were busy getting law degrees and earning a million quid a year, but what yeah. the fuck are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. like so it's all it's all very well when you're in the bubble of a you know a fantastic place like the Guildhall, you know, talking about ECM and you know whatever, and then mm. but then you're confronted by the real world, and I, I, for me there has to be like a like a meeting place between the two yeah, that so made me feel better because I, I was quite aware I mean my dad's in business and a lot of my family are and I was always quite aware that there was that aspect of life it's not like I was raised by artists yeah. you know fucking commune on the hill or something you know so um, I think it's important I think it's important mm-hmm. to give an awareness of that and the people can do that you know if you've got a student they can do with that what they want if they want to ignore it it's fine but I, I feel like I'm like it's a benefit to at least flag that up so if you've got a student yeah you know say look so you feel like there's a little bit of a hole that needs to be plugged with that yeah I did uh, and uh, and I'm really pleased that I think Malcolm is doing a great job of sort of he seems to ha- be on the case with that as well and like the way he's 
change things up a bit. And I talked to him about it when I first started teaching there. And it's, you know, it's hard because teaching when I when I was your age was something that I did for the money and I wasn't interested. Mm. I don't. I just wanted the money. I taught at a local secondary school. I just wanted to go out and do jazz gigs, basically. Yeah. Which I wasn't very good at. <laughs> um, uh, but now I'm a little bit older. I do sort of feel that it's like my job to to do that. That's my that's my sort of skill set. Mm. You know what I mean? Having being sort of involved in the more commercial area of yeah. music, you know, is to flag that up. Like, yeah. if people want to ignore it and just go and sit in the vortex every night, that's fine. Mm. That's totally fine. It's brilliant. You know, it's great. You know, but I think that you know it yeah. should be there. The real world might catch up. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, and it really because everything's so fucking expensive now. Yeah. Well. You know, you want to buy a house, you need half a million quid. So. No, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So, but so you managed to like sustain a living out of the industry, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's because you worked in so many different areas, which means yeah. that your work yeah, like overall is much yeah. more than more shit to do. Yeah. So, like, how did you get to that kind of? I mean, you said well, that's you left college and you wanted to do jazz. Well. <sighs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I did. I was playing more jazz then than I am now, and I'm, I was in. Do you remember Gerard? He's moved abroad now. Gerard Presenter. You must have come across Gerard. I've heard the name. Yeah, I was in his band at the time, and right, uh, that was pretty happening. He was it's Chris Dagley and Jim Watson and me, and here we have it was burning. So I was like interested in you know trying to get better and stuff, and I still am. I, you know, don't get me wrong. The commercial considerations never outweigh the musical considerations. Mm. It's just that I knew, always knew that they were there. Yeah. So, um, but I loved lots of styles of music and I love the idea of you know being in a studio and somebody saying okay this is a country tune you know I just really I couldn't I could never decide on one style of music that I liked above mm. all others basically yeah you know um, so did you go into one did you just somehow a door opened in like one area in particular to begin with or were you kind of like going into well, so all pra- of them I can tell you well no I, I was in a function band so Nigel in a function that was like when I was your age that was what I did with my Saturday so I went to Nigel rehearsals on Saturday morning yeah so it was college in the daytime Nigel rehearsals on Saturday, somebody's wedding in the evening, so we play lots of pop music. Mm. And that was a really good, it's a good training ground for doing sessions. Yeah. Because you know? in those days, as well, like function bands, correct me if I'm wrong, are kind of different now. You have to learn the music. Yeah, there's a lot more that are off chart. Yeah. Um, that didn't, that did but not they're, exist. They're a lot more serious. Right, so everything was, yeah, everything like, was chart. Yeah, you just used to turn up wearing black, and they, they put these shitty London orchestrations charts in front of you, <laughs> and you'd go, thanks, money, come on, <laughs> cough up, and then you go home, you know. Yeah. So it, it was very much, there was a lot of that, you know, you could always be decking on functions in a band or something, there, were, there was loads of that around, and it was just, you just turn up and read the charts, so that, that kind of stuff was, it was a bit of a pain in the ass at the time, but, you know, it was pretty good training, really. Right. Was there anything that you kind of, the, the first gig you got on where you felt like you hit a different level? Like I guess it was gradual. So a few things, I remember when I was in Nijo, well, Gerard's band was one of them. When I was in Nigel, do you know Pete Long? Have you ever come across Pete Long? Mm. So he's sort of 10, 15 years older than me, but he, maybe about 10 years older than me, he came back to guest with Nigel. And for me, he was like this busy sort of professional, you know, I was young and everything. And, and, and he came up to me at the end, and I played banjo on the gig for some obscure reason. <laughs> and uh, he came up to me after the gig, and he said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, well, I don't know, a bit of teaching. I can't remember what I was doing, you know. And he said, do you want to come to Spain with Echoes of Ellington, which is his big, his big band? Wow. And I went, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I went to Spain and that was like, you know, it was Mike Smith on drums. And uh, I mean, you know, they were just like working guys, like people that I know, my mates now, you know, but yeah, it, that there was that. And then the big thing was into TV. A few of us were quite lucky because 
there was, um, do you remember Pop Idol? Remember the series Pop Idol? Mm. Which was 2000, I guess. I think. Yeah, must have been. Um, uh, the first series, yeah, it was about 99, 2000, something like that. Anyway, so, and they wanted a young big band, so they came to Nigel. Um, but right. they wanted people who, you know, didn't look like, weren't sort of 17 stone or whatever. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we ended up doing that. And that was a, like an experience in TV. And I met the fixer from ITV and that. So the whole band was used? Or like Not, a selection? No, no selection and yeah. people who weren't. Like, so it was Dagley on drums who wasn't in Nigel when I was in it. Okay. Do you remember, Chris? Do you ever... It's before your time. Yes, yeah. I think so. Yeah, he was the house Maybe. drummer at Ronnie's phrase. He was a fucking amazing drummer, but he died um, in a car accident. Mm. When he was thirty-seven or something, it was very sad. We were all mates, and you know. Um, so, yeah, it was Dagley and Sam Burgess on bass. So it was a different rhythm section apart from me. Right. Um, so that was that's quite a big thing. Yeah, to that was a big thing because we recorded an album the year after the, and we did the first two TV series, and we did a tour like an arena tour and everything, and it was great. So yeah, that was a big thing. That that gig went on and off for a couple of years. And it was huge at the time because that was the series where Will Young first came. Ah, out, right. And Gareth Gates and those sort of, you know, it was a big thing. It wasn't sure. like it was another reality TV series because then it was sort of, it wasn't new, but it was a big thing. Mm. It was like, oh, you know. Um, so there was that. Um, and then, so I met this TV MD called Ray Monk who was really, used to do everything, you know. And he, uh, he's pretty much retired now, but he's, um, he did Stars in the Rise for years. And he got me to debt for Mitch Dalton, who was a, um, you know, sort of studio player. Right. He was very busy back then, and uh, I debt for Mitch on the last series of Stars in the Rise through Ray, who was his MD. So it was gradual, and then I ended up doing a rehearsal for Dave Archie's band on one of his TVs. It wasn't Strictly; it was one of his TV series. And I just filled in for John Paracelli on the rehearsal. Right. And so, you know, it's Dave's sort of guest thought I did alright so then he asked me back so I sort of started depping on that and you know here and there I think the thing is with TV which has probably been the, the thing I've done the most of that and West End shows I guess um, sadly uh, if you don't if you're good if you play well on TV and you don't fuck it if you're consistent and not fucking things up you know if you get a live TV show and you get your clips in your ear and you have to play an intro on your own if you don't fuck it up, you keep coming back. Right. You know, so you just have to bottle, basically. That's it. So basically, you begin, for your, your experience, you begin by, like, depping for someone. Well, that's what happened to me, yeah. Yeah. Did you yeah. know the person you were depping for, or was it, like, a fix? Yeah, I'd met Mitch, but uh, it was, I knew the MD. Right. There was Ray, Ray was the MD on Stars in the Rise and also Pop Idol. Okay. So that was the connection. And Pop Idol, I was there because I was young and I could play. Yeah. But then I got, I started depping on things just because I could... You know, and then from there it's kind of grown it just grows yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so when did you first get into the the west end that was uh in fact i think mitch gave my number to a fixer called morris cambridge and he's like a west end fixer well it's not like a west end fixer he's a west end fixer <laughs> and he phoned me to do i mean i tell you what it was, it was just after we finished doing the first series of pop idol and it was coming up to the summer and i wasn't doing anything except for a couple of functions it's like this time of year and he said do you want to i'm putting together this show called jerry spring of the opera uh, and putting together the band. Do you remember the show at all? No, no, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's amazing, yeah, but, um, and this was bef- way before it was in the West End or anything. It was at the Edinburgh Festival. Oh, right. And he said, do you want to come to Edinburgh? You know, we'll put you up. And my friend Tom's playing trumpet. And it was 300 quid a week. 
and one show a day, and the show finished at four. And I didn't have anything else to do, you know. It was great. I was like, yeah, okay, fuck it. I'll go and live in fact with my mates for 300 quid a week and yeah. see in Edinburgh. And, and we had the people that were putting it on, uh, a company called Avalon, and they ran all the comedy things. So we had passed to go and see all the comedy. And so we just went drinking and did a show, which finished at four in the afternoon, and then started drinking, like, every day, you know. So had a great month that We had a great month, yeah. So anyway, so the, the MD was a guy called Martin Kosh. This brings me back to where we started. Uh, now, Martin sort of... No, he wasn't the MD, he was the supervisor and the orchestrator. And uh, he liked my playing. And then he got me in with Stephen Ralph. He used Stephen Ralph, and I don't know what other guitar player he was using at the time, but he, you know, for whatever reason, started using me. Um, so then that was a big thing as well, Martin, really. Mm. You know, and then and so the West End thing came through Morris. And then so uh, after I did Jerry Springer, went into the National, and then he went into the West End for a year. And then uh, after that, he offered me Billy Elliot, so I did the first year on Billy Elliot, and then I moved on to I did a year on that, and then moved on to Wicked, did the first year on that. Then Hairspray, I did the whole thing of, for like two and a half, two years, something like that, whatever it was. Then I didn't do a show for a while, just did whatever. Um, yeah, various shows over the years, you know. Mm. Um, I've just finished two and a half years on Beautiful as well, that was good. Right. Neil Whippington, who's a drummer. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, and so I think in the last two or three years, I've got more into uh, also doing my own band as well, and like trying to play a bit more music rather than just doing sessions and, right. you know, TV or whatever. Although I still do a lot of that kind of stuff because it's what pays the bills, but I'd like to do a lot of practice. Sure. Of jazz and, you know, yeah. jazz ish. <laughs> rock, jazz. So you kind of so you kind of got into different areas just like yeah it just sort of happened yeah I didn't know it was kind of time. all grow I mean how did you if you're if you're in the West End for I mean how many how many years you've been doing it yeah how do you keep all of your other different kind of gigs going you just at the same get out time? as often as possible you just dep them dep, dep, dep the fuck out of it all the time really yeah do anything right yeah okay. So you're pretty, you're pretty much there. just pretty full on all the time. Don't be there. Yeah. Not in get, the West get show, and if you need else. the money, go in. If you don't need the money, go and do something else. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've noticed that the West End show is like something which people now aspire to. Well, it's quite. It's probably one of the best well-paid, yeah. consistent money. It, it is, because, I mean, you, you, know, you know, you make sort of 70, 75 grand a year before you've done any sessions. Right. You know, including your holiday pay, whatever. So... Uh, yeah, it is. I understand that. But, I mean, it wasn't even a thing. When I when Morris phoned me, I was like, what? He said, oh, it's Morris Cambridge. And I went, who? Oh, who the fuck are you? you know? And um, I didn't say who the fuck are you, but I did <laughs> say who. And he went, I've fixed over 20 West End shows. Okay, I've never even <laughs> thought about doing a West End show, but now I think guys your age, that's on their radar, you know. Mm. Didn't even occur to me. Yeah, I think a lot of other people were saying that, like, they're getting more students coming through, which you kind of that that's their goal. I want to be in a Western show, yeah. yeah. I mean, it would drive you mental if you if you stay there. It's not, I mean, I understand because the, you know, the problem is, is that um, I mean, you won't. I don't. I think you're probably young enough that it won't. You won't experience it so much. But say if you're a drummer who's thirty five, forty, you know, people like Yanto and Ralph and Neil, they're not going anywhere. And Mike, you know, those guys, mm. they're not going anywhere yet. You know, they're still yeah. working, they're still at the top of their game, you know. I mean, you're young enough that it might not affect you so much. But, so all the sessions are sort of, they're kind of, you're always going to be not the first call at yeah, the moment. Yeah, absolutely. No matter how good you are, there's no reflection mm. on you or anyone else. You know, it's just that they're, 
you know, if someone's been using Ralph for 20 years and they love him, why would they suddenly go, you know what, I'm not going to use Ralph this time. Yeah. I'm just going to use yeah, this yeah. random kid who I've never heard. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, cause, so for all the session stuff, it seems to be like session, uh, everybody's saying like the session scene is pretty much non-existent. Like no, nobody can make a living off of purely doing sessions. You can't anymore. make a living just off doing sessions. And that Apart from some be... of the string players. Oh, really? I don't, uh, I mean, it's not non-existent. I don't think it's well, as bad yeah, as Well, yeah, it's not non-existent, but if, uh, people are saying that... But you can't make it. Well, I mean, it depends how much money you want to make. I mean, I'm I'm making 800 quid out of sessions this week. For me, right. that's not enough. You know, but for somebody else it might be. Yeah. You know. So with the session stuff, people are saying that, like, the session musicians kind of have gone from the session scene into the West End scene. That seems to have been... Oh, yeah, definitely. The, people the that wouldn't have trend. touched a West End show. I mean, when I was doing Hairspray, Derek, you remember Derek Watkins? Mm. He, was, he was the trumpet player. You know. Right. No one would have... T- you know, 30 years before that, no one wanted to know about West End shows or the session players. They just... I mean, it, there was a period where everyone was just playing on albums and they didn't even want to know about TV work. TV work was like... The, mm. you know. But now it's like... You, it's really good money now, you know. Yeah. Do you um, still do a lot of, like, a few album, like, artists and no, kind of things? No, not so much, really. Not uh, so it's not... I, it's sometimes, you know... Um, not a lot, to be honest. I mean, I'm doing Seal's album launch in a week after next, you know, so there's a... Sometimes, yeah. Um, but not so much artists for me, to be honest, you know. I, I've done it, and I, I do do some, but a lot of the time, especially with guitar, it's like, you know... And with Pro Tools and everything, it's like, if you just need a simple, you know, somebody to strum C to G, you don't necessarily have a, you know, a session musician come mm. do it, you know, you might, you know, if there's a certain, like, I mean, I've played for Little Nicks, I did one of their records, and it was like, they wanted specifically, like, this big 80s rock guitar solo. Right. But if they, just a bit of picking or something, they wouldn't have called me. You know, so unless it's something really doing. specific? Generally, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe there's guys that do more of that than me. There might well be. I don't know. It's just I've ended up doing a lot of TV, mm. basically. I mean, right. I've, over the last two months, I've done three different TV series in the last two months. Right. So, so out of all the the sessions that you do, I mean, we're sitting in. I'm assuming this is your home studio. <laughs> it's a good guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the bathroom, man. I just have to keep the shit. <laughs> um, so, out of all the sessions you do, is it? Do you do a lot more of them from home now? <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to not do them actually. I don't. Um, sorry. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, there, it can be, a, to be honest, a bit of a pain in the ass. Because they're. Oh. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I do do some. My experience has been I used to do more actually. I've started to sort of turn them down. Um, unless, they're, unless they've got a checkbook. A decent right. size check, but because to be honest, it could be a real pain in the ass. Because what can happen is they'll say, Right, okay, so what would you charge me for a track? Right, and you make up a figure. And then what happens is if you if they're really specific about what they want, then I'll do it. If they send you a chart and they say, Just play this, or you know, it's a little, little 10 second jingle or something, and you know, it's not too much hassle. But if it's like somebody's album track and they say, Right, we want something sort of in the vein of this, right? So you say, Okay, fine. If you go to a studio, you book for a three-hour session, you're there for those three hours. If you go over, you get another session out of it. So it's regulated. What happens, you know, if you send me a track, right, and I play on it, and I send it back and it's perfectly acceptable, but you think, ah, it's not quite what I was after. So by the time I've loaded it up to Dropbox and you've downloaded it and listened to it and gone, this is another hour at least, you know, by the time you've, you know, done whatever, gone to Tesco's and come back. Mm. 
Um, then I've got to then spend another couple of hours redoing it, and what happens if you don't like it that time? So you could spend a whole day on one track and still not get anywhere, even though what you've played is perfectly acceptable. Whereas somebody, if you do, um, uh, you know, if you do it in a studio face to face, they could say, "Mm, try something else. And that conversation, which has taken two hours over the internet, has taken 20 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and and so I think the thing is with the internet sessions is they haven't become regulated enough for them to be I think that it will happen then there needs to be more you know kind of regulation in my yeah. view for me to like working that it way do, it does seem to be that, that from my point of view that that's the way that it's going is because it saves it saves multiple people some money doing but I understand like from your point of view yeah it's just not cost effective in terms of your time but it, it, that's the thing is it can things. be so the way I look at it is if it's the two extremes are the ones worth doing where, where somebody knows exactly what they want if, like if it's a jingle I'll do it mm. you know so if they say right like I work for Steve Sibyl a lot and uh, if he sends me a little chord chart and says you know play this da-da, it's a jingle it's a couple of it like a 20 second edit 30 second edit whatever yeah. ding-ding play send gone easy right and I know him and I, I know how he works I know what he wants if there's somebody that I don't or, or the other extreme was, is when somebody says, I just want you to be you. Right. So you can give them whatever you want, right? The problem comes in, for me anyway, I mean, it might be different for other people in the middle ground, when they've got opinions but they don't know what they are. Right. So you can be there all day. So you know, come back to you and be like, it's not quite right, but I don't know why. Yeah, exactly. So this whole process, and that's okay if you're face-to-face and you go, oh, what, what do you think of this? You know, mm. okay, no, what do you think of this? That's the one. So that's taken 20 seconds, like I said. Yeah. Over the internet, it takes hours. Mm. You know, so it, I'm pretty selective about what I do over the internet. Sure. You know, because it's just not worth it. Okay. So in terms of session stuff, you do a lot of TV. You said now. Yeah, that's a so, lot of it. Yeah. Right, and that that came just from knowing the people that do it, like yeah. from Pop Idol and all that stuff. Yeah, basically from Pop, and then gradually, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. seems to be what I'm done. I did the Voice of House Band for the first three years. Guess that was relatively high profile, you know, when people watched it. Yeah. First series was a bit of a big deal, I guess. Um, yeah, a lot of TV through Steve. Actually, I've done a lot of TV through Steve and a couple of other people. Right. So, do you enjoy doing that mm. stuff? Yeah, I do. Does that involve learning? I mean, the voice. You must have had to like. It's quite a lot of effort to well, learn all the stuff for yeah, it. Yeah, I think that it's very different now. It's a different band. And. Uh, to when I first started, it was Steve Sibbon when I first started. Yante was on drums, Jerry Mee and so and Pete Murray's on keyboards, and it was we had charts on iPads and stuff. Right. And so, uh, so the learning process, and they're all, you know, used to doing that kind of TV work. So it was, um, yeah, it was a lot of hard work, but it was this process which we were all not unfamiliar with, just more of it. Yeah. Okay. So. Do you feel like that's similar in terms of the session stuff? Like, younger guys are probably nowhere near that. What do you mean? As in, well, it seems to be that... It it makes sense. I mean, the the guys who do the sessions, like you are saying, like Ralph Webber, if he's done it with the same guy for 20 years Mm -hmm. or whatever... I mean, all of the fixes and the, the producers and everyone they work with, they're all, like, this similar generation. They're going to use all of them. And people my age... I feel like 
are obviously going to be used by producers of a similar generation. Yeah, I think so it's still people. a time. They just, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, you just got to grow up through it. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because okay. all sometimes you know over the past few years, sometimes I've gone into work and I've gone, "Where's the adults?" You know what I mean? I've gone. Oh, so I was at college. We used to live with you at university. And like, who's in charge here? <laughs> oh, the fuck is us. You know, like so. Um, yeah, I think it's cyclical. Yeah, and yeah. it's funny because when you're age, you look at, you know, you're like at the bottom of the mountain. You're going, fuck, how do we get up there? I really want to be up there. You yeah, know? and it's like, how do I get up there? Everyone's, you know, it looks like it's sewn up, and it's just, you know, it's, what do I know? What don't I know? You know, all these questions. And, but I think it is, you know, a lot of it's just time. And, and there's certain things about your playing, in my opinion, and this this is like totally open for debate, which go into your playing. You know, where you put the beat. Surprise! All instruments, even though I just did a hi hat. Um, uh, you know where you put the beat. How what, how you know? You know where, where phrase things. You know slightly back and forth. And that's what maturity and relaxedness to your playing, or not relaxedness, or what was the judgment that you know, and your time as well. I think time is something which most people in their twenties. Some of them are good. You know, they've got a lot of people with naturally good time, but a lot of them, there's still issues. You know, I mean, I'll talk about drummers because I. The, I feel like the most and guitar drummers and guitar players are the people that I know it's the most with it which is handy um, <laughs> is that still they still they can be really brilliant but not quite yet playing in time right. you know there's not um, you know sticking with it uh, and, and then also I've seen in the past few years weirdly the opposite problem with drummers of your generation is that they can't play without a click as soon as you take the click off it starts slowing down you know maybe it's different if you come from the jazz end of things or whatever I don't know but I've experienced that with a lot of drummers. Uh, maybe not your age, but like slightly younger, or slightly older. Sorry, who I've played with, you know, sort of late twenties, whatever. Right. You take the click away, and they're, they're fucking amazing drummers. You take the click away, and they start, start slowing down. And you think, what's happened there? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so yeah. It's like a generational thing, like they. Maybe that's like that's just my gigs that they. Maybe that's my little perspective. That right, you know. Okay, so um, if you if you were giving someone advice now in terms of like getting their time together, like what would you tell them to do? Well, you've got to play with people who are really good, you know. Um, I, it, that's a really tough one, to be honest. I mean, i tell you what I do is, where it came from, and I know I try and replicate this in my teaching, is that I, I remember when I first started doing the old session, I'd play something and go, oh, that sort of felt all right, you know. And then you go into the control room and listen, and you go, wow, I'm rushing. I didn't feel like I was rushing. So mm-hmm. there's like a discrepancy between what you feel you're playing and what the reality of the sound that you're making is. Yeah. You know. And there's nothing that exposes that more than recording yourself. So that would be that's my advice to my students. It's like that when I get them here I you know, put a very simple chart in front of them and they're always shredding around like Pamathini and you know, it's like, okay, all right, there you go, there's like a you know, a Motown chart or something. Yeah. You, all you have to go is and just play off beats or something. Go on then do that. I'm gonna put a click on, I'm gonna give you four clicks in and you're gonna do it. And nine, 99% of the time, they're not on it. Really? You know, amazing jazz players. Reading, great. Theory, brilliant. No, no right. I mean. So, uh, and I think recording yourself is really, really exposes. Because you can't argue with it, you know. You can see the waveform. You know, mm. I'm consistently one side of the beat or the other. Yeah. Know. So you've done a lot of that yourself, like, kind of uh, record. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, spend the time. Because I think a lot of people, I mean... I don't know, I haven't talked to people about it, but myself, I, f- I feel like originally I was kind of under the impression that like 
all right, if, if you're not playing, if you've got like an hour block of practice, if you're not playing for the whole hour, it's not productive or whatever. But then when you record yourself, it's, it's very time-consuming in terms of like you'll, you'll play for like a minute and then you might spend like five minutes analysing it. Or like well, look, I think it. if you make some sort of breakthrough, then it's really productive. If you go, it felt good to me. If you know, if you just run a click and you just play a simple, you know, just play that, or whatever, yeah. and you think that you're the thing is happening, and then you go listen back to it, you know, so you're not employing your hands and feet and you're listening to it and you're watching it, and you go, wow, I'm consistently slightly ahead, or slot, or my, you know, sorry, I'm making drum analogies, but maybe my you know, my my right foot isn't quite as happening as I thought it was, or something like that. You mm. know, which you can hear because you can hear it in other people. Yeah. Um. But there's no arguing with that. I mean, that for me, I don't want to be too drum specific because what do I know about drums? Nothing. But it sort of works for guitar, you know. Yeah, that seems hear. to be a similar thread of advice from a lot of people. Is like, you know, recording yourself is one of the yeah, it's really absolute good. best ways. Really good. Yeah, I mean. Uh, that that's my the main thing is you hear like a lot of the you know the guys your age and everything and no matter how good they are you know or talented whatever it's nothing to do because I was the same you know but it's that you have to have that time you know after you leave college and Nigel or whatever and all that kind of stuff to go oh okay so this is how I play you know it's like like I said earlier it's like passing you pass your driving test and you go oh okay so this is how you drive now okay yeah you know so you should kind of expect to have a couple of years of there's a definite it takes longer than everyone thinks it does yeah did I say that right everyone <laughs> thinks it does yeah um, in my experience anyway uh, again you know the, the caveat on all of this is I could be full of shit <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> like, I would know so uh, well, I'm sure a lot of it is true I, I think a lot of people I don't know whether it's more more now than it was before I'm sure it was before anyway but a lot of people just leaving college they're very impatient it's like you say they, they yeah. see people 20 years ahead of them yeah, they want everybody to be, they want wants to, to go yeah. there which I think is but, natural yeah exactly and it's healthy in a way yeah so I'm just checking what oh the guy just saw um, so yeah you know um, so would you give because the industry industry like changes all the time and it's like completely different now to you know five years ago ten years ago whatever yeah so what what would, advice would you give for people now if they're like if they're just moving to London or like they want to be a musician or they just finished college like what what would you do if you were in that position? If that was now? me. Um, well, see, here's where my advice might be slightly redundant. Is again because of the internet. I'm sure there's things that you can do which I wouldn't think of. Right. But I mean. Really, it's just get out and play with people. You have to. I mean, I do some sort of. You know, if I was your age and I just moved to London and I didn't know anyone, which clearly you you do because you've been to the Guildhall. Um, I would go and do your postgrad or go and do some sort of course to meet some other musicians. You know, and you can go to jam nights or what. I mean, I never really did that, but you can. That's a way of, mm. you know, meeting people. Uh, that's interesting because a lot of people kind of they're either really into the jams and they're like, I need yeah, to go to like four it. a week. Oh, fuck that. Yeah, I I, I'm but, not so much. But then a lot of people like kind of are opposed to that, and then I think it, it's, it's also interesting to hear you say that. And yeah, I mean, I, fine. I've got a, a reason why I never did it is because I never liked playing on other people's gear because I could never get right. sound. So that was kind of a guitar thing more than anything. I think if I was a saxophone player or something, I probably would have done it more, you know. Right. But it's like your sound with guitar really doesn't just come from your guitar; it comes from your. You know, you can see that I quite like it. And then, uh, what pedals and what amps you're using and you know it's kind of crucial 
Mm. For me, I'm just not into, you know, trying to go, and that sort of, I don't know, I was never into jam sessions, but I can see why people, that's a good way to meet people. Yeah. Because for me, I, didn't, I think I've maybe been to one my whole life, you know. Right. Um, so for guitar players specifically, you would, you would advise, like, you know. I guess if you're a straight ahead jazz player, then it's probably fine. Mm. I, I wouldn't advise to go or not to go. Right. If you enjoy it, I think then go. If you don't like it, then go. You know. I mean, sure. Yeah. 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 Um, but I but think like, if you're like straight ahead jazz, then it's probably fine because you just got that sort of yeah. jazz guitar sound, which is no pedals, just an amp. You know. But if you, I mean, I always wanted to play a bit more like sort of uh, either Schofield or Larry Carlton or Robin Ford or one of those guys, and that involves having a, a sound. You know, so mm. a bit of distortion, a bit of delay, or whatever. Yeah. And I found that I just didn't I play as well without that. Right. I just didn't like it, so I wanted to have my own sound. Sure. So I didn't, just didn't enjoy it, you know. Yeah. So regardless of whether you go or not, like, actually just meeting people... Just meeting people. Getting what, to know yeah. everyone. Meeting people, yeah. I, mean, I uh, You know, Nigel was a big thing for me. That really helped. Um, and I think that that still is a certain route, you know. Because I... I t- yeah. Do you know Nick Fitch? Yeah. Nick. So he was doing it. You know, he mm. still comes to me for lessons. And I, I, he's, I see him, you know, he's a fantastic guitar player, but... It's definitely a route, you know, doing something like Guildhall and Nigel and all those kinds. I think that route's still there, and that's what I did. Um, but just, like, it's just meeting people, really. You know, I, I would do some sort of educational thing, you know, whether it's even if it's BIM or one of those kind of places. You know, it's yeah. more about meeting people than it is about actually what they're teaching you. Mm. It's just a bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can stick on a record player and record player, like you know, whatever, some music and learn off that. Mm. You know. Um, but London, do you feel like London is definitely the place to be? I see. Uh, for me, it's yeah. It's the only place I can, you can make a living with like, in commercial music. Yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can you know you can live outside, but you have got to be able to get in. Yeah. Get on the half, it's totally fine. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. You know, but the southeast. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. For me, and if you want to do a West End show, you've got to get in every night. So I guess that's that's not very helpful, is it? No, no. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the thing was, is that I didn't m- have much of a game plan. Right. I just sort of gradually, through the, you know, not being able to make up which kind of music that I like the best, I ended up doing lots of different types and wanted mm. to play lots of different types and that ended up, you know, sort of doing the kind of commercial yeah. sessions and things where you have to be able to play lots of different types of music. Um, I think a lot of people are either one way or the other like I, I know a lot of people who are kind of like say jazz like they love jazz that's what they do that's yeah. that's all they want to do well, that's, and that's cool. fine yeah. and I think a lot of people these days might think to break through it because I don't know if you think it's more competitive now than it was or whether it's just the same I think people are better I think they're better earlier yeah definitely so people feel like to break through in a certain thing they need to like focus on like just one genre or like just one type of gig to to actually get somewhere with it and they feel like I mean I know it's only for me I feel like I might be spreading myself too thin is that what do you want to do I I mean sessions it is like a thing that really appeals to me like you say like doing everything I've never had one thing that I particularly want to do above everything else like Mm -hmm. I did a jazz degree but that was just from talking to people and that seemed to be the best way to get an eclectic kind of yeah yeah. so I think some people might be in similar in my position where like they like everything and they're not sure whether doing that continuing to do everything will will actually help them or whether it will hinder them I would say help 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good to hear you say that. Well, that's what I've done. Yeah. And I can't see why it would hinder you. The thing is, I think, if you're going to be an out-and-out jazzer, you will already know it. Right. You know what I mean? Because that's uh, the people that I grew up with who are still out-and-out jazzers. That's all they ever wanted to do. And that's, they had no interest in anything else. Mm. Mostly, you know, that's states of mind, listen to other stuff, but they didn't really, they were obsessed. You know, like playing, learning, you know, Charlie Parker Omnibus 24 hours a day. You know, like just sh- shredding. And I was never interested enough in jazz to bother to do that. You know, yeah. I like jazz and I certainly would say I'm influenced by it, you know, my own playing, but I would call myself a jazz musician. Right. That would be insulting to all those people that have, have spent all that time really becoming jazz musicians, yeah. you know. Um, do you find anyone else does, does that with any other genre, or is it jazz? What do you mean, sorry? As in, like, really Oh, really? Yeah, I guess some of the rockers do, yeah. I guess a lot of people with classical musicians, yeah. Mm. I mean, you, can't, you know, if you just do that with pop music, I'm not sure there's a wisdom to that, because, I mean, you'll only ever learn a certain amount of harmony and a certain amount of grooves, you know, so if mm. you're just going to play modern pop music, that's probably a bit tough, but... Yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I wouldn't question yourself if mm. I was you. I, I wouldn't say, "Oh, am I spreading myself too thin?" Because I think, like, if you, you know, if you were going to be just wanting to be the next Philly Joe Jones or whatever, that's what you'd have already done. Yeah, that's what you'd be doing. You wouldn't be interested. So, like, you know, because you, it's not going to make you happy to just play jazz, then, is it? If you're interested in other types of music, you want to do other stuff. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know. Um, Mm. So yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it'd ever be a bad thing because you've got plenty of songs where you can always come back to different styles. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be. Maybe it's the impatience thing as well. Like yeah, yeah, which I totally understand. I mean, I would say that I've only this sounds a bit wanky, but I would only I've only found my sound. Sorry, <laughs> like in the past couple of years. Right. You know, like I've, I've, since I've started doing my own thing gradually, I was like. You know, just doing lots of TV and whatever shows beforehand, and then I, I was like, okay, I want to have a band because I, I want to do some more pop kick. I like, you know. Um, and then I was like, what do I sound like? I don't sound like anything. You know, I spent so long, and now gradually I've got it together, and I, now I know what I sound like. So do you think you've got that? That was a process of like, being, yeah, definitely. Process. Once you started trying to find your sound, yeah, it, it then helped before that because you hadn't thought about it. Yeah, no, I'd never, I'd, I'd, I'd wanted to be like the session guy, yeah. you know, the studio guy, you know. Um, yeah, because that's what I wanted to do, that was sort of top of my agenda, was to be like the guy, you know, the studio guy, and make, you know. And then I realised that it probably wasn't top of it, you know, I wanted to be a musician, mm. you know, like play music. Right. Rather than just chasing that kind of commercial work, you know, so, yeah, so that, but that's been a big thing in the past two okay. years. So know. now you've started doing it and you've very recently released your first yeah. album yeah. haven't you yeah um, how's that gone has that gone were you pleased with it I, I am pleased with it yeah I mean it's definitely a snapshot of what I was doing you know um, I'll give you a copy of it after this <laughs> I'm to it. there's CDs I got loads of CDs and I realised no one fucking buys CDs anymore <laughs> but I did quite a lot of you know for a jazz album sort of done alright in um, jazz uh, on downloads, right? But no one wants CDs. Really? So I've got, I'm, going to, I'm palming them off on people. So <laughs> <laughs> um, got Yanto on it. He's amazing. You know. Yeah, you got an amazing band on it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, that was my philosophy. I thought, right, even if I'm <laughs> shit, I'll just get people who are really good <laughs> to surround me. Just go, shit, it's my band. Check it out. You know? <laughs> Twang. Um, 
Uh, yeah. it's, I, it's, to me, it's like kind of interesting that you. Uh, I mean, it makes sense knowing about your career now. Yeah. But it's interesting that you waited until now to release something. Mm. And I think a lot of people are very keen to get stuff out there under their own name when they're a lot younger these yeah. days. I mean, what do you what do you think about that? I think if you want to do it, do it. Great. You don't you don't think people should wait or like people? No, should, I think people should do just, what they want to do. Yeah. You know? I, I, the thing is, I, I I almost look at it as a separate endeavour from my the rest of my career, mm. um, because it, it doesn't affect or not affect my other playing. Well, no, that's bullshit. It does. Oh, you get better because you do a lot of practice, but it doesn't affect my job. If you see what I mean, right? It's almost like a hobby. You know, I okay. mean, obviously, there's a sort of certain amount of cross pollination. In as much as you do get better, the more you play improvised yeah. music and you're playing with other people rather than just playing on personal adverts or whatever, <laughs> but. Um, I don't really look at it as the same thing. I look at it actually as more important now, you know, right. in, in terms of being a musician. You know, I mean, you will never, unless you're, you know, I mean, even you know the top sort of jazzers in this country, they're all, you know, you don't make a lot of money out of it. Mm. So you never do it for that. And, and it, you, I do the sort of the sessions and things to fund my. That's how you, know, you see it. Yeah, that is how yeah. I see it. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I love doing sessions. You know, I love mm. it. I'm great. I love playing all the different guitars and different sounds. And yeah, you know, and working is nice because it's good for your egos and the people phoning <laughs> you up saying, "You want to do this?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but you've done that for long enough now that you feel like. Well, I still love it, and I'm not going to have no intentions of stopping it um, until I'm stopped. Yeah, you sort of get retired, don't you? But you want um, to start putting your own stuff. Yeah, out I like doing well. it. Yeah, I'm not fussed if anyone fucking likes it. To be honest, it doesn't make any difference to me. Yeah. You know, uh, literally, I don't care. You know, I do gigs. I'm playing at the Woodman in Highgate in September. I play at the Boaters every so often. I do the support slot runnies quite a lot. Um, I don't give a shit. It's just it's really really good fun. It's very cathartic. Yeah, it's really really enjoyable. Just playing music for the sake of it. It's brilliant. It's, yeah. be- it's the, one of the best things I've ever done. But, you know, And I, I'm not that good at it. That's the thing. It's like, I, I think I'm really good at my job. I'm good at doing sessions. I'm good at doing TV and all that kind of stuff. Am I the best sort of improvising guitar player in the world? No. Mm. Yeah, loads of guys are better than me. You know, but I don't, it doesn't bother me. Right. It's just, I but the enjoyment music. of it outweighs oh, all of that. And fucking hell, yeah. 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 <laughs> but I think there's a certain amount of that, that I wouldn't have that attitude if I was your age. Right. I think a lot of people do get into the mindset of like kind of worrying about stuff and then like bills and real life and everything blah blah and then like the kind of enjoyment of the music yeah. does get lost at 100%. stage yeah it really gets lost and then you then you come full circle when you, when you manage to pay your bills or whatever and um then you go oh well, what should I do now yeah That's certainly what happened to me did you yeah. what, what did you when did you get to a stage after you finished college that you kind of like started felt like you were stable enough to I well I'm not there yet you still still don't your bills go up yeah you mean financially stable well I mean like you feel like you've you're going to work regularly never shit together enough that you like kind of back to being happy with doing what you're doing right (laughs) it doesn't go away like the insecurity if you've got if you're doing a West End show it goes away a little bit because you've got at least for the foreseeable future you're employed but even then it's still a finite amount of time yeah yeah Um, but now if I look in my diary if I'd have looked in my diary after Beautiful, Beautiful only shut sort of six, seven weeks ago. But if I look, if I'd have looked in my diary, if we'd have gone back two weeks, and I'd have looked at my diary now, it would have been empty. Right. Now I'm really busy. Okay. You know. So I've got, it's, I've it's got an album next week. I've got. Um, I'm teaching this guy how to play guitar for a film. 
I've got a bunch of different gigs and all sorts of shit happening. Um, Seals band, loads of stuff. Give some gigs with Marty Pello next week. Lo- loads of things. But they weren't there three, two or three weeks ago. Right. And in two or three weeks' time, my diary is empty. When I get there, I'm hoping it won't be. So well, it's not empty, but you know what I mean. It's sporadic. Okay. But so, I personally, that's not for me. I don't like that. That's that's why I like having a show. I like to know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 I like routine. You know. So it's still kind of that the same way that it's been since you started. Like it's just you don't know a month from now what you're doing, but you kind of. Well, unless, you unless you've got touring or something, but sessions yeah. are so last minute. Really? So it's like they're so last minute. On they the day, a, on the week. What? It could be. What are you doing tomorrow morning? Can you come right. to Angel and do a film? It's like, oh, okay. I've gone from doing nothing tomorrow to making fifteen hundred quid in a day. Right. It's insane how last minute they are now. So you just have to kind of trust that you it will yeah. just keep going. And I'm uh, too much of a nervous person to enjoy that process. I don't like it. Right. You know. That's interesting. You've done it for so long. If that's the yeah, I don't feel secure. In it, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. No more secure now because your bills go up. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um, well, bits of different bits of life. Like yeah, yeah, fucking children and yeah, yeah. And all that shit. You know, so um, yeah, it doesn't go away. Mm. Some people, I think that's a personality thing as well. I mean, you seem like quite a stable sort of character. So hopefully, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not. So like, I worry about everything. Right. So um, ex- the only time I don't worry is when I'm working. Like I'm sort of. I'm pretty when you're playing calm and yeah no, I can read and I'm like in the moment and everything I just don't get flustered by any of that stuff mm. um, but if you if you leave me in a room on my own for a bit I sort of oh, I wonder if I'm not working next week maybe it's all over you know oh, what am I going to do about that oh there's a oh, the roof's got a leak or like you know like I will do that you right. know? so it could well be a, like a personality thing where you know that kind of last minuteness some people might love it mm. I didn't particularly enjoy it. I, I think it might, yeah, it might, like you say, like it might turn people off, some some people off from yeah. the industry if they're kind of on the fence about it. Yeah. Just the insecurity and like not knowing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I remember, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Steve Morse seeing an interview with him when I was about your age. And I think it was Steve Morse. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But the, uh, the interviewer asked him, if somebody's thinking about being a professional musician, what would you say to them? Mm. And his answer was if you're thinking about maybe it might be a nice idea to be a professional musician, don't fucking do it. It's a terrible idea. But if you absolutely have to be a professional musician and there's no other choice, then it's the best job in the world. Right. You know? And that always stuck with me. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's about it. You know, Because yeah. I, I never imagined myself as anything else. I always thought that I was a studio musician, whether or not I am now, because no one really is. You know, yeah. It's a different thing. But that's how I felt from a young age. I remember reading Tommy Tedesco's columns you know, old LA session guitar player and guitarist magazine. Mm. I remember looking up to some of the guys that I knew on the circuit. You know, when I went with my parents to Cornwall when I was a kid, seeing it was Bobby Davril, some shit comic, and he had a band with him. And I the guys wearing black shirts with the music stands and the lights, and I was like, that's fucking the coolest thing I've ever seen. I was like 14. You know? Yeah. So I always felt like one of the guys. I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Drawn straight yeah. to it. Yeah, straight away. Yeah. So. Um, Seems to be the way, like, if you if you absolutely love it, doesn't matter how hard it is, like you. Yeah, you're gonna do, do it. it. So yeah, it. So basically, you're saying it doesn't get any easier. No, it doesn't get any easier. But it's still great to do. Like, yeah. I mean, I I think that that you uh, the older you get, the more you allow yourself to enjoy things. You know, because right. uh, so I'll I'll qualify that. 
I remember doing that first series of Stars in Their Eyes. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't sleep the night before I went into the first session. I was so nervous because I had Andy Paskin, Trevor Brown, all these old school session faces, you know. Uh, um, you know, the other guitar player was Colin Green, who was, he was just a legendary guy from back in the day. And I was so nervous. I didn't enjoy it. I got away with it. Right. You know, I got home and I, I got home and I was like, went all right. You know. But and now I might go, oh, I had a nice day with the guys, you know, play some nice music. So I might enjoy it more. Yeah. You know, but the insecurity of when you're going to be working, I don't think, really goes away. Mm. You know, I think the only way that would go away is if you cared less, and if you cared less, then you fucked anyway. So, yeah. Um, mm. So yeah. Do you feel like with with sessions and things like that, um, preparation? I know that a lot of the time you don't get an opportunity to prepare stuff. Like that's kind of the point of sessions. Is like you go in, you have to do it. Yeah. And you have a skill set, whatever. Yeah. But how important do you think like preparation, just in general, as being a musician, is? Pre- um, just just in in any 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 instance, like you know, turning up an hour early to something. Oh, we always do. Like... Yeah, always. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Fucking hell. Totally. Important. Is there any? Is there ever anything that you've turned up to and you've been like, shit? I wish I was more prepared. Like I wish I'd done X Y Z last night. Or is it more a case? No, of I'm pretty just... on the case for stuff like that. To be yeah. honest. Um, and then having I mean, the nothing that I, nothing, nothing that I've gone. I could have done something, and I didn't do it. Like I knew that I should have done it, and I didn't do it. Right. I mean, I'm sure it's happened where I've gone. If if I'd have known about this last night, I would have liked to have seen this bit of music beforehand or whatever. Yeah. Sure, but that's that's just life, isn't it? You know. But I don't think I've ever gone. I fucked up. I didn't do something last night. Right. So it's more about the skills you have already. Yeah, and you hope help you through it. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've done two or three hours practice today already. You know, and just just playing. Yeah, just shredding around. You know, um, and I've t- I've spoken to people. I'm doing an album for on the weekend. I found out what guitars I need. You know, what kind of music it is. So I know mm. already know that I'm taking that amp. I'm going to take certain guitars, like nice old spring reverb thing I've got, and you know, I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at that. But I think that's. That's like the commercial end of things. People, you know, if somebody's paying for Abbey Road or something, they want to know who's turning up has got all their shit together. Yeah. So I think that's part of the gig. So right. it's pretty important. It's very important to yeah. answer your question. So you have it or you don't really. Well, no, yeah, I mean, you can just, learn it, but if you don't have it, you, you won't get it. Yeah, it's like an extra thing. So if, if you were, if, I know you talk about this and then like uh, about time, like developing time earlier. Yeah. Yeah, like if you were said to someone like this, the really important skills that you feel like have helped you with everything mm-hmm. like are there any that are like above the rest or is there just like a set load of skills that you have that you feel are essential as a musician I don't I think it's really difficult to narrow it down like to distill it to certain things because who you are as a musician is a you know sort of a, like a combination of all the things that have happened to you in your life mm. you know whether they're to do with music or not to do with music you know um I remember doing a, like the just little things like this. This wouldn't apply to anyone else, but I remember uh, doing a, a tour with. This, do you remember Russell Watson? You remember Russell Watson? He was like mm-hmm. a sort of classical crossover singer. Right. Anyway, he used to be, you know, pretty well known. And we did like a, a tour with him. And Ralph played kit, and Trevor Blair, Barry played bass, and we played a lot of pop songs on this tour as well. And you know, Russell's Russell's Russell. You know, if you like that kind of music, that's you know, that's fine. But we played a lot of pop music, so. And playing, listening to where Trevor and Ralph put the beat, you, know, you just have to have your ears open. It was like, okay, so this is happening here. 
how does how does my, how do my guitars sound in the mix? You know, I, I know they sound alright in my room, but do they sound like they do on the record? Okay, no, that doesn't quite sound right. I need one of those guitars, or and I need to sit back on the beat a bit more, and I need to listen to where he's playing the snare, and where to play, you know, whatever, like all these things, and so you know, and that was that was weirdly for a gig, which is like, you know, it's not like I mean, it, it was actually looking back, a pretty good gig, but. Um, it's uh, not something which you could replicate because it was specific to those circumstances at the time. How um, important? I know you said reading from a very early age. Yeah. Do you feel like reading, like regardless of what you're doing as a musician, is essential? These well, days? not no, not regardless of what is what you're doing as a musician. It's essential to what I've ended up doing. Right. Yeah. Definitely. So there are definitely pathways within music that you can make a living and you don't necessarily have to... It depends what you call a living, I guess. I mean, if you want to be an out-and-out jazzy, you probably don't need to read music. Right. You know? I don't know whether Jim Mullen reads music. I've got no idea. Um, but he doesn't need to to do his job, mm. you know? Um, I mean, it's a silly reason not to get a gig. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's not a talent, it's an academic skill. Just learn how to do it, you know? Mm. Um... So, yeah, it's essential to what I've ended up doing. I, you know, if you want to be in a rock band or something, it's not essential, is it? If you're in Metallica, you don't need to yeah. learn how to read music. So it's up to you. You know, I mean, it just—it's another thing which widens your, you know, your uh, usefulness to the music industry. So, kind of, what you're saying is kind of like work out what you want to do, and then work out what skills you need. Well, just, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anyone really knows 100% what they want to do. You know, especially with the music, because you can always discover new things. You know, mm. you always discover new, new players that you want to play a bit more like, or new avenues of things. You know, I never thought that I enjoy teaching. I mean, I don't do very much teaching. I maybe do two lessons a week. Right. One of them is at half past three, actually. But I'm, t- I'm teaching a guy how to play guitar for a film. Yeah, soon. And um, uh, and now that's become something that I enjoy. You know, right. it's not um something which I thought I was going to enjoy. Mm. Be open to it, you know. Open whatever. Be in be in as many situations as possible. Meet as many people as possible. Listen to as many different types of music as possible. Yeah. Do as much practice before you have kids as possible, because <laughs> you won't get any done after. Um, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so random the music industry. That's the problem. It's not like you're in the army and you can progress through the ranks. You know, it's like little things like what I told you about meeting Pete and Nigel. Mm. I mean, it's pretty random, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, if you're good enough, you'll end up doing it. That's the thing. Okay. You know, a big part of it is is don't be a twat. There's that as well, which I've definitely been guilty of at, at some stages. You know, is um. Uh, but fortunately for me, in my twenties, I was too shy to make an idiot out of myself too much. Right. You know, so I, but I've seen it happen a few times in the last few years where you get guys who are really good players who sort of your age and a bit older start coming up on the scene and you go oh that sounds like, oh you're a complete right okay <laughs> right you know where they're just like totally full of themselves yeah 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 um, and telling everyone how brilliant they are mm. and it's just not going to get you anywhere you know just be cool I mean like you've got that together already just like just be normal just be a normal person just be polite normal person and you know because, I mean, I think the thing is with doing sessions, it's like, what you've got to remember, it's not about you and your ego, it's about what you can bring to that situation, you know. So you just turn up and you just be cool, like, make sure you're there. I mean, I get to sessions an hour early, um, set all my gear up, get ready, say hello to everyone, have a coffee, you know, 
and then you, you're in a good situation, you know, to um, help them, which is what you're there for. It's a service industry. It's not about you and your ego. It's not like they're getting in you specifically for your style of soloing. That doesn't happen. You know? I mean, it might happen to a few people, but it's pretty rare. You know, I mean, I'm sure Steve Gadd would get away with turning up late, but most people, it's a bit, yeah, don't do that. I mean, even if he turns up late, it's still a pain in the ass. He's still wasting studio time. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, just be cool. Your personality is a big, big part. You know, just don't be a dick. Mm. You know, that is, that is definitely a theme as well. Yeah, like kind of be just. Just chill out. <laughs> yeah, just be cool, basically. Yeah, yeah, be cool. Yeah, just just be nice and friendly and try to help. You know, it's like anything. It's like you went to go get your, your car fixed in the garage. It's like if the mechanic's like, well, I'm not sure if I want to work on your car. You're like, all right, well, fuck off somewhere else then. You know, yeah. I'll go and get my car fixed somewhere else. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people that want to be studio musicians. You know? mm. like, so there's no reason to be. It's not going to help you. Yeah. You know, okay, well, I don't think your music's any good. You know, I mean, you have to be sort of good liar as well to some, some extent <laughs> because, like, if you're playing on some track which you think is terrible, mm. you can't just go, oh, this is terrible. No, you just got to do the job. Yeah, you just have to turn it on a bit and just be, you know, find something positive to say about it and find something you can bring, you know. Like, see, maybe, maybe you can make it better. Maybe you can make it not terrible, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Have you got any like recommended listening in terms of artists or albums essential listening I don't know it's not recommended stuff you like oh, at the God, moment I like you listen to Jesus I don't know where to start with that um, <laughs> it's always the toughest question it that's to a really tough question I mean so what, did, what have I listened to today I've listened to some Schofield today what recommended for who for anybody literally anyone whatever you like it's too expansive <laughs> I'd start with the Beatles Right. Just start with the Beatles and you can't go that far wrong. Just yeah. the Beatles and the Stones. I mean, like, you know, and then take it out from there, see which way you want to go, you know. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Yeah. I mean, I could do some guitar playing stuff. There's like, I guess you'd start with, if you go chronologically, start with Charlie Christian, Django, Wes, Montgomery, move on, Hendrix, Van Halen, um, you know, keep going that way, and then you, you know, you're the modern, you know, and Schofield and Pat Metheny and Larry Carlton and all those guys, Steve Lukather. As regards music in general, I mean, man, that's so expansive. Yeah. I, w- I literally wouldn't know where to start. I mean, it's Steely Dan, I mean, and Steve Dan are great, you know. Depends if you want to do muso stuff or. Yeah, well, no. I, I Michael Jackson, anything that Quincy Jones has done, really, yeah, you know. Uh, all the same shit that people talk about, I guess, you know, <laughs> classic stuff, you know. Yeah, I think the Beatles are definitely a good starting place. Yeah, I'd start, I mean, that's where I started. Yeah. Beatles, it was great songs, you know. Yeah. Some great riffs. Yeah, there you no, go. There you Beatles go. and the Stones for me, I, Keith Richards is one of my favourite guitar players. Mm. I don't think anyone's really done anything that much better since then, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so what, if you had like a, a small, I know you've got loads of gear, but if, mm. you, if you had like a small, like essential rundown for guitarists of like gear that you recommend or that you use all the time yeah like do you have a few things um yeah I mean if I had to narrow it down probably you've got to have a strap right you know uh well say so if I had to pick if I had to take two guitars on a session from this room mm. um I'd take that's a, a strap there just a very straight up um 
custom shop, supposed to be a 62 Strat or something. Um, so yeah, that's going to, and then I take my, uh, that's a 1967 335. Right. That, the big one here. Yeah. So that would cover the humbucker sound and the, you know, anything a bit more jazzy. Right. How many do you normally take on a, on a session? I know it probably depends on the session. It, yeah, it depends on the session. So, I mean, I take quite a lot. If I had to narrow it down to two guitars, it'd be, it would be those two. But you yeah. normally take like three, four, five. Oh, God, and the rest. I, I mean, <laughs> it depends what it is. I mean, a TV, you don't necessarily need as many, but recording sessions, especially for acoustic guitars, sometimes you need loads. Right. Um, you know, I've taken pretty much all the acoustics that you can see. I did a film for Howard Shaw last year. So, what was it? Pete's Dragon is a Disney film. I think I had about eight, nine acoustic guitars. Wow, you know? really? Yeah, so... So you just you built this up over the, over the years. Are you still adding to the amount of stuff? Yeah, that turned up a couple of days ago. Um, so I'm staring at it. <laughs> um, yeah, I love them. Yeah, yeah but they do. They all get used. You know, they all mm. get used. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'd say it's Strat. And, yeah, I mean, if you were having to have a basic like TV <laughs> guitar setup, you'd have a Strat and then something with humbuckers. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, so I'd take a three 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 five or you know, but sure. take the Les Paul. Or whatever. In terms of uh, pedal board, are there like two or three that you all, always have with you, or you well, this one is? I pretty much this doesn't look like it's got loads of stuff in it, but it really has. Right. And then there's some favourite pedals. You know, it's not doesn't take up the whole room. So this, for the benefit of the tape, is a Boss MS3. It's got loads of effects on. Then I use my own overdrives and a bit of a. So these are all overdrive pedals, different types of, uh, and I've got overdrive from the app as well. And then this is like an analog delay thing. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much my sort of go-to session thing. Right. If I'm just doing my own band, or I'm just playing a gig in a pub, I just use an amp and a guitar, and that's it. Because right. I really like the sound that you can get. It's like the most pure kind of. Mm. Get, so I get all my overdrive from the amp, and I use that that Hampstead amp, and uh, I just literally use that. Right. If I'm doing my own band, just for have one sound. But it goes back to what we were talking about: is trying to find your own. Yeah, sound. but you gotta have all this shit. For, I mean, look at this. Just I've got so many pedals, and mm. you can't even see half of them in <laughs> bags and locked away and stuff. That um, for sessions, you have to have that, especially for TV, because you have to have. You have to be able to do you any. Have to be able to get any want. different sound. You have to be able to edit your gear. And you have to know your gear. That's a big thing. You have to know right. it well quickly. You know, Cause no matter how you can own the best effects in the world, but if you don't know, you get sound out of them. Mm. You got problems. So you have to know them. You have to get used yeah. to them. You know. So you spend a lot of time practicing just like getting different sounds. Yeah, I've been doing that today actually. Yeah, just to, just getting to grips with this little unit here and um, you know, finding you know you have to basically sort of clean, then you clean with some effects, and then a bit of distortion, and then a lot of distortion. That's the basic one, and then you've got right. loads of other things. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Great. And then like other acoustics, like this is like a the gypsy jazz. So you've got like. Totally different to a normal acoustic. And mm. This is another, like a big band acoustic from the, that's from 1934 or something. Modern big band, sort of 70s rock. It's from 1972. You know, like so you've got to have a lot of gear. Yeah, you know, yeah. And I like it as well. You just build it up over time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's expensive. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, you can't go out unless your parents are millionaires or something, and they mm. just give you a load of money. You can't go out when you're your age and just go right. I'm going to spend, you know. 100 grand on gear you know yeah. it's like it's not going to happen so it takes a while yeah you know well thank you very much my pleasure it's been great yeah, yeah cool man yeah
podcast uh, i hope you enjoyed this talk with adam uh, it was very enjoyable for me as well you can go check out adam and everything that he's doing over his own website at adamgoldsmith.co.uk if you want to check out the show notes or any of the transcriptions for this episode you can head over to tomhutchmusic.com forward slash podcast and find it all there if you enjoyed this episode please go and share it with friends who you think would benefit from hearing one of adam's views and if you have any ideas of guests that you'd like to hear from or questions you'd like me to ask then please get in touch with me personally at tlhutchmusic at gmail.com for email or on social media at tlhutchmusic. Thank you and see you next time.